This morning's text is uh, Genesis 18, 16 through 33. Okay. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he might command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole place for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And he spoke again to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for um, allowing us to all be here today. I thank you for... um, just the fact that we get to come spend time in each other's presence, in the presence of you. I pray that you would speak through Matt as he um, starts this new sermon series today, that you would um, just give him the words to say and help give us the hearts to hear it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Charity. She did not know she was reading the scripture this morning and praying because Jeff and Emily we're going to be reading the scripture and praying uh, this morning. Um, they're being take. They're going home. Uh, they're going to the doctor. They all seemed like they were okay, but they're definitely going to be feeling it tomorrow. So uh, please be praying for them. And if you know them, you have the number. Your friends on Facebook. Just let them know that you're you're praying for them. I I'd appreciate it. If you're new here, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we just wrapped up a, a series called Habits of Grace, uh, Experiencing Christ Through Spiritual Disciplines. And before we start our, our next significant series, we're having a church life mini-series uh, simply titled, Love Your Neighbor. We do a church life mini-series from time to time, and when we do... It's to address an issue that the pastors feel is like a, a, timely, uh, a timely issue for the church. 
And we might address a weakness. We might address or cast vision. We might fan the flame of, of something good that God is doing in our church. Uh, this church life series, Love Your Neighbor, is for all of the above. Now, if you were paying attention to this scripture while it's being read, it probably raised a few questions, right? Questions like, what in the world is going on in this story? It sounds like Abraham's haggling with God at the swap meet. At least that's the image that I have in my head. They start at 50, do some negotiating, and get all the way down to 10. Another question, why in the world is this story in the Bible? And then, what in the world does this story have to do with me? I mean, do we really need this one? It's just some weird story, right? Those are all good questions, and I'm glad you asked. And we're going to tackle each of those, beginning with the first question, what in the world is going on in this story? Well, let me give you a backstory. At the beginning of this chapter, the Lord shows up with two angels at Abraham's tent. And all three appear as just men, but it's clear to Abraham who they are. Abraham prepares a meal, and they, they share a meal together. They experience, it's an experience of, of friendship with the Lord. And when it's time to leave, Abraham walks them out. And now, God invites Abraham into a closer relationship. What's happening here is the Lord invites Abraham to be a priest, okay? The Lord invites Abraham to intercede, to intervene, to mediate, to plead on behalf of the people in the city of Sodom. Now look how God does this. Verse 17 says, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now this is kind of weird. Because Abraham is walking right next to the Lord when the Lord says this out loud. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Well, it's kind of like someone saying, you know, I don't know if I should tell you this or not. And when you say that, you've already decided that you're going to tell that person. So why do we say it? Usually because what you're about to say is important and you wouldn't tell just anybody. The Lord is inviting Abraham into a closer relationship, letting his friend in on something important to participate in what he's doing by having Abraham serve as a priest. Then in verse 20, when the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, their sin is very grave, he's talking about the outcry of the oppressed. There was so much violence. There was so much cruelty to the poor and to the needy that they were crying out for help. So in mercy, the Lord said he's going to bring judgment against the oppressors. And what we see here is that mercy and judgment go together. If God hears the outcry of the poor and the needy and doesn't do something, if he doesn't judge those who are oppressing and doing violence and cruelty to them, then he's not a God of mercy. So in verse 21, the Lord says, 
I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Now, does God have to go down to see? No, of course not. He's God. But this is a way of saying that God is making himself accessible to Abraham, to involve Abraham in the advancement of God's mercy and the advancement of God's justice on behalf of the oppressed. Verse 22. So the two angels turned from there, went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. Now Abraham's nephew Lot and his family live in Sodom. God knows that Abraham's going to be concerned for them. And so the Lord sends the two angels ahead and then hangs back with Abraham. And verse 23 says, Then Abraham drew near. Now the word originally used for draw near is a technical term referring to a legal representative approaching the judge, like a defense attorney approaching the bench in court. God appointed Abraham to function as the legal representative for the people of Sodom. So Abraham approaches the Lord to present his case in prayer. In verse 24, Abraham starts praying for the whole city. He says to the Lord, will you sweep them away? Will you sweep away the place and not spare it? Now, you know what? It's easy for us to expect that Abraham uh, would intercede for Lot and intercede for Lot's family. But right here, what he's doing is he is interceding for the whole city. And do you know who lives in that city? The Canaanites. The people occupying the land promised to Abraham. And Abraham lived in constant danger of being attacked by the Canaanites. But now he is interceding for the Canaanites? He's asking God to spare the Canaanites? In verse 25... Abraham says to God, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Now, you know what he does not say? I think it's important to point out. He does not say, so they broke the law. It was a bad law. They shouldn't be punished. He doesn't say that. He starts with God's righteousness and he assumes that those break God's law should be judged. And based on God's righteousness, he says, far be it from you to kill the righteous with the wicked. And then Abraham goes way out on a limb. He does not ask God to spare the righteous when he kills the wicked. No, he says, Lord, you are more inclined to save than to judge. So would you spare the many wicked for the sake of the righteous few? And in verse 26, the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And so now, now Abraham's thinking, I wonder how low the Lord will go. Lord, what if there are only 45 righteous? Would you spare this city? How about 40? What about 30? 
Would you give me 20? And God says, if I find 20, I'll spare the whole city. I'm so inclined to save rather than judge that I'm willing to spare the many wicked for the sake of the righteous few. This is God. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. That's what he says in the book of, in the book of Ezekiel. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. The Lord is zealous to save. So then, why does it seem like Abraham's prayer start, stops short here? Abraham starts with 50. He's down to 20. Then in verse 22, Abraham said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. The Lord answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. And when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Abraham went home? I mean, it looks like he could have gotten it all the way down to just one righteous person, right? So why in the world does, does he stop? Well, you know, maybe he's thinking, you know, there's got to be 10 righteous people in Sodom, so I'm sure we're good. Maybe, but I think it's more likely that Abraham became convinced that God would spare the whole city even if just one righteous person was found. And what happened? God destroyed the city. Now the scriptures do say that the Lord rescued Lot and his family, but not because Lot and his family were righteous. They weren't. Lot... If you read the story, Lot offers his daughters to a sex-crazed mob to be raped by them. But thankfully, the two angels stop that. And later, Lot's daughters get Lot, their dad drunk to have sex with them and to get pregnant, and they were successful in their scheming. God was extremely merciful to them, but only because they were Abraham's family. God did not Spare the city because not one person was found to be righteous. God is zealous to save rather than judge, so he will spare the many wicked for the sake of the only righteous one. And this story makes us desperate for the only righteous one. So God invites Abraham to be a priest. And Abraham carries out that rule by interceding for Sodom. And so this brings us to our second question. And our second question is, why in the world is this story in the Bible? It's in the Bible to point us to the real priest. Hebrews 7 says this, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is the real priest. Jesus is the priest that Abraham and all other priests point to. He is the righteous one. God heard the outcry of the oppressed and he came to us. The father invited Jesus to be our legal representative to intercede on our behalf, to mediate on our behalf. 
Uh, and Jesus did not stop short in his prayer. He asked the Father, will you spare the many wicked for the sake of the righteous one? And the Father said, yes. And Jesus said, I will be that righteous one. I will be that priest. And so Jesus came to us through the miracle of the incarnation, meaning he became flesh and blood to fully identify with you. You have a priest who understands your struggles. You have a priest who understands what you are going through. Hebrews 4 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, I, I know it's very easy, especially when life gets dark, for you to think that no one understands what it is that you're going through, what it is that you're facing. You know, maybe you're, stug- you're struggling with, with the sin that has enslaved you or struggling with deep agony or wrestling through despair, and you think no one understands what you're going through. Your high priest does, and he is with you. You know what else? He loved the Father with all of his heart, and he loved his neighbor as himself, and he lived a perfectly righteous life for you as your legal representative so that you would get the credit for that. And then having lived for you, he died for you. He went to the cross. Instead of being spared, the righteous one was crushed. Not for his sin, because he was spotless, but for our sin. He died to turn God's wrath away from you by taking your record of sin away from you. And he put it on himself. That's why Hebrews 7 says, Jesus has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And because he was the righteous one, death could not hold him, and God on the third day kicked down death's door from the inside out. And since God raised Jesus to be your legal representative, you are guaranteed that death will not hold you because you now share in Jesus' resurrection. That is good news. And now Jesus lives to always intercede for you. The Apostle John reminds us of this when he writes, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Jesus stands before the Father and says, Father, yes, Matt Ortiz has sinned a lot, but I have died for his sins. Far be it from you to punish the same sense twice. Will not the judge of all the earth do the right thing? And the father says to Jesus, of course, I forgive Matt for your sake, my son. And I credit to Matt your perfect righteousness. I spare the many wicked like Matt for the sake of my righteous son. 
Jesus is interceding for you as your legal representative. Now, I know sometimes if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you might wonder if you're going to make it. Like, I mean, you, you might say, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I'm just not sure I'll be able to hang in there. I get that kind of worry. But listen to what Jesus says to Simon Peter. He says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. You know what this means? This means that if you are a believer, it does not matter how weak your faith might be. It does not matter how badly you have messed up. Jesus is praying for you. He is interceding for you. And the Father always hears the prayers of his Son. He will not let you go. He will see that you make it to the very end. This story about Abraham pleading for Sodom is in the Bible to point us to the real greater pleading priest to point us to Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And then here's our last question. How does this story apply to us? Well, in light of the whole counsel, the word of God, God has invited each of you to be a priest. If you are a Christian, you are a priest. That is who you are. That is your identity. John in the book of Revelation says that King Jesus made you, God's people, to be a kingdom and priest. The apostle Peter in his second letter, in his first letter, calls you a royal priesthood. This is your identity. Your identity determines what you do. The Lord has appointed each of you, if you are a Christian, the Lord has appointed each of you to intercede on behalf of the people that he has put in your life. And he uses you and your prayer to advance salvation and to shape history. He has appointed you to be his priest and he will work through you and your prayers. So as a priest, if you have come to grips with your identity as a priest, you will have great love and compassion for people. You get involved in their struggles. You absorb their hurt. You understand their weakness. You are patient and gentle. You confront out of love. And you have great hope for their progress. And as a priest, you have great boldness and humility toward God. Abraham said to the Lord, I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. So, you don't have to try real hard to become a priest. If you are a Christian, you already are a priest. And when you come to grips with your identity, then you just live out of that. It's not something you necessarily have to muster up. You know, the Beckus, they just moved to Nigeria. 
they came to grips with their role as priests who are missionaries. They didn't know what life was going to be like. They never lived in Nigeria before. They visited a couple times, but you can only learn so much on a visit. They didn't know, you know, how much danger they were going to be in or, or how their finances were going to be, you know, taken care of. I mean, they just knew that God's called them to be missionaries, to be missionaries in Nigeria, and so they went. They didn't figure out all of the details before they went. They just realized who they are, and they went. And the same is for you. You are a priest. Who you are determines your priorities. Who you are determines where you live. Who you are determines how you interact with your neighbors. Who you are determines how you spend your money or not spend your money. It all flows from your identity. And when you come to grips with your identity, it becomes a natural thing to do as opposed to something you just have to muster up. Does that make sense? So let me ask you. Are you being who you already are in Christ? More specifically, do you pray like this? Like a pleading priest intercessing for your neighbors, even and especially the ones that hate you? Do you love your neighbor as King Jesus has commanded you? I don't. Not like I should. So how can we grow in that? How can we grow in our identity and live more consistently with who we already are as priests? Is it just try harder? It, it, I mean, is it simply make a prayer list or just discipline yourself, just do it? I'm telling you right now, if we ended right here, which a lot of preaching you know, in churches today do, if we ended right here, you would leave here totally discouraged. And you'd say to yourself, you know what, I tried, but I just can't do it. And others of you might leave here inspired to try harder, but you'd be discouraged by tomorrow if not sooner. The way that you grow in this kind of priestly praying is not just by trying harder. It is by rejoicing in your perfect priest and the freedom that you have in him. The way that you grow in this kind of priestly praying is not just by trying harder, but by rejoicing in your perfect priest and the freedom that you have in him. This priestly prayer flows from that. So what that means is that I can freely confess my sin with no inhibitions to, to seek healing. And, and, and it, it is, the whole Christian life is a life of repentance and faith. And when it comes to this, repentance and faith sounds something like this. Lord, I haven't prayed like this. So often my heart is hardened towards people and cold towards you. I go through the motions of prayer and my heart's just not in it. I'm a failure as a priest. I have not had great love and compassion for people. I have not had great humility and boldness toward you. But there is one who has 
who always prays with love and compassion, who always prays with humility and boldness toward you. And that one is my priest, my legal representative. His praying is my praying, and my trust is in him. He went to the cross, and he died for my weak, sin-laced prayers, for my lack of love and for my lack of humility, for my lack of boldness, and for all my sin, past, present, and future. And now, Lord, you see me as righteous in the right righteous one, as a perfect priest because of him. And you welcome me into your presence for his sake. So I pray to you in his name, not mine. I intercede for people based on his righteousness, not mine, on his perfect priesthood. And I know that you will hear me for his sake. That's what repentance and faith is. And it's total dependence on Jesus, not you mustering up something that you can't get on your own. How is God leading you to be a pleading priest who loves their neighbors? Think of your street. Think of your neighbors. Think of the people that you work with. Uh, think of the people at the grocery store or coffee shop. Those are people God deliberately placed in your life. And then remember who Jesus is to you and how he suffered for you and reached you and loved you. Preach that good news to yourself until you can't help but share the good news with others. See, this is critical. As you rejoice in Jesus, you will grow in prayer for your neighbors. So the key is rejoicing in Jesus for what he's already done for you. As you rejoice in Jesus, you will grow in prayer for your neighbors. You'll grow in love and compassion for them. You'll grow in humility and boldness toward God. So my encouragement to you this morning is look to the righteous one, your pleading priest. Trust him. Rejoice in him. Be the priest that God has created you to be and love your neighbor. Let's look at Hebrews one last time. We'll put it up on the screen. Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. God is so zealous to save that he will spare the wicked like me for the sake of the righteous one. My encouragement to you, my exhortation to you is to live in response to this truth. Be the priests that God has already made you to be in Christ and love your neighbor. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?